The views expressed on TMI with Aldous Tyler do not necessarily reflect those of WSUMFM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or the Board of Regents. Oh no, the views expressed in the next hour are all mine. TMI with Aldous Tyler for Friday, August 28th, 2020. We're going to lead off tonight with the uh, story which I'm sure you've been hearing about since it occurred. I'm going to go over a timeline of what's gone on with the Jacob Blake protests. Now... Here in here in the United States, we've uh, we've witnessed months of demonstrations over how police treat black people and uh, the systemic racism that you can find in that treatment. And we've had that since May following the deaths of uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, plenty of others. Well, as it happens, Kenosha here in Wisconsin has become the latest flashpoint in the ongoing protests against racial injustice after Jacob Blake, a 29-year-old black man, was shot and wounded by police as he leaned into his car on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday. Video footage of the incident has been widely shared online, um, and uh, it sparked protests in several U.S. cities uh, over uh, the horrible use of force that the police uh, showed in this incident. Um, protests, including Madison, Wisconsin, where I'm uh, broadcasting out of, as well as Kenosha, of course. Now, protests in Kenosha itself have, uh, have included violence, uh, scuffles reported between protesters and the police, as well as armed vigilante groups. Some among the demonstrators have, you know, damaged buildings, set fires. And of course, uh, good old Governor Tony Evers has authorized the deployment of the National Guard. Now, in his deployment of the National Guard, Governor Evers was very clear that they were to protect protesters' ability to peacefully demonstrate. I don't know about you, but I am not comforted when you bring federal forces into play. On, uh, on Tuesday, uh, the third night of the protests in Kenosha, at least two people were shot dead and another was wounded. Now, um, a teenager has been charged with murder in connection with the shootings. Here's a timeline of how this is all broken down. On Sunday, August 23rd, Blake um, was shot by Kenosha police. The Kenosha police responded to a, in quotes, reported domestic disturbance 
around 5 p.m. Central on August 23rd, when they arrived, uh, Blake was reportedly attempting to de-escalate the situation, a fight between two women. Now, uh, to be clear, by the way, the Kenosha Police Department has uh, claimed something else. They claim they were there because... um, because Blake was not supposed to be where he was and the, that the, they were called in to take him away. Um, but that is literally their claim. They don't have any body cameras. They haven't presented any evidence to uh, back that up. Meanwhile, there have been uh, a number of uh, corroborations to the story that Blake was there to break up an argument uh, between the two women. And um, Blake's still alive to give his own testimony despite the police's best efforts. If you're not sure about what I'm talking about, you'll find out in a minute. Now, details were not immediately clear. Witnesses claimed they saw police confront Blake using a taser and grappling with him before the shooting. A video taken by witnesses appears to show Blake attempting to re-enter his vehicle as two police officers pursued him. At one point, a police officer appears to grab Blake's shirt and shoots him in the back from close range. Witnesses say they heard at least seven shots. Now, the police's own report on this confirms seven shots by that officer. Seven in the back. Um... What may not be clear at this point yet, because I haven't mentioned it, is that there were three children in the car, um, one of whom, the eight-year-old, was going to go celebrate his birthday. Blake's kids, these guys. Um, Yeah. Now, um, medical aid was administered to Blake by police. And he was airlifted to a nearby hospital and reported to be in serious condition. Uh, Prominent civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump posted the video of Blake's shooting on his Twitter account that evening. The spread of that video, watched by millions on its first day, sparked protests in Kenosha, as well as... um, you know, several other cities, including here in Madison. Now, um, if you're not clear on where Kenosha is, it's on the border with Illinois, south of Milwaukee uh, and right there on Lake Michigan. Anyway, uh, videos and photos appeared to show demonstrators setting buildings on fire and clashing with police that night, Sunday night. And um, at that point, Governor Evers denounced police excessive force use. Now, um, move on to the following day, Monday, August 24th. Wisconsin authorities announced they've placed the officers involved in Blake's shooting on administrative leave. Now, for those who aren't familiar with police procedure, administrative leave simply means that you get to continue to um, be paid. You know, unless it says unpaid leave, which is very rare, that means you're continuing to be paid, but you don't have to be reporting into the job. You know, you're, you're, you're taken out of the street, so to speak. Um, some would even say it's like paid vacation. But anyway, now the investigation is handled by the Wisconsin Justice Department. 
the Wisconsin State Patrol and the Kenosha, sorry, Kenosha County District Attorney's Office. Kenosha County District Attorney Michael Gravely said two questions will need to be answered before charges can be brought against the involved officers. The first one is, did any officer in this case commit any crimes? And the second one is, are there any crimes we believe were committed that can uh, we can prove beyond a reasonable doubt? If those two things are concluded as a yes, then criminal charges would be brought at the end of that process, gravely said, noting the investigation was in its early stages. Blake's shooting continued to gain notoriety with politicians and sports stars like LeBron James, who has long been vocal in his support of the Black Lives Matter movement calling for justice. LeBron James, while um, posting a copy of the video on his Twitter, said, And y'all wonder why we say what we say about the police. Someone please tell me. WTF is this exactly another black man being targeted. This is so wrong and so sad. Feel so sorry for him, his family and our people. We want justice. Now, to be clear, um, if you saw the tweet, you know that I uh, skipped over a couple words I cannot use on the air. And uh, my apologies to LeBron for uh, for taking them out. But, you know. Hopefully you will understand, Mr. James, about the FCC. I personally can't blame LeBron for any language he would want to use about it. It deserves every expletive in the book. Now, as I mentioned, we had ourselves a situation where we were looking at... um, a lawyer here by the name of uh, Attorney Crump. He's going to be handling um, Blake's family uh, side of things on this. And he's handled recent high-profile cases of alleged excessive force against Black Americans by police. On Monday, an 8 p.m. curfew was declared, although it was ignored by many as forceful protests continued that evening. Governor Evers then deployed the National Guard, which, along with local police, were met with lobbed water bottles. Oh dear, police and National Guard outfitted for riot gear had water bottles thrown at them. The poor, poor babies. Now, demonstrators also allegedly looted and sprayed graffiti on businesses. The Kenosha Courthouse also became a target of the demonstrations, similar demonstrations in Portland, Oregon. Authorities used tear gas and rubber-coated steel bullets to disperse the protests that evening as demonstrations spread to larger cities. Now, I am not, and I mean not, comfortable as a white man telling these protesters what they can and cannot do with their rage. Because they've been raging, and this keeps happening. I don't know what it's going to take to get the attention of people. But you know what? Here's a thought. If you are an officer of a police department and you really would rather your city not be vandalized, um, burned, damaged by protesters, stop shooting people. Especially when you don't gotta. And most of the time, you don't. No, 
you don't. Moving on to Tuesday, Blake's father, also named Jacob Blake, by the way, uh, told the Chicago Sun-Times that his son was paralyzed uh, from the uh, from the shots. Ben Crump, the attorney, confirmed via Twitter that same day that Blake was paralyzed, saying he hoped it was not permanent. You know what? You get shot seven times by a police officer's weapon in the back. If you survive, it's miraculous. Peril paralysis? God. Who on earth wouldn't be severely damaged? And again, the fact that he's not dead is amazing. The back, you know, when you're talking about uh, the caliber weapon that police tend to carry, is easy access to, you know, the lungs, the heart, the stomach. Uh, your liver I mean if you, you, trust me penetration all the way through is quite easy um, and yeah you know the spine goes through there now the protests on Tuesday continue to escalate with demonstrators setting fire to a department of corrections building in Kenosha the National Guard and police continued with crowd dispersal tactics, as seen frequently in recent protests. Governor Evers said on Tuesday afternoon he was requesting more National Guard troops and asked demonstrators to protest peacefully and safely. Quick clutching your pearls, Evers. Evers declared a state of emergency shortly thereafter. At a news conference featuring the Blake family that day, a lawyer representing the family announced Blake suffered damage to numerous internal organs and had much of his colon and small intestine removed. Again, go figure. One of Blake's sisters, Zetha Blake, said police treated her brother as a foreign object that didn't belong. Zetha called attention to the fact that his kids are his world. But not only that, his family's his world. He's upset because we're hurt. We're upset. He doesn't even care about himself. He's more so worried about us. <laughs> Confusingly, deciding to step in where he had no business, U.S. President Donald Trump here tweeted that Governor Evers should call in the National Guard that day. Although, as you may note, as I've said several times, Everidge had already done so quite a bit sooner. Protests continued Tuesday with demonstrators ignoring curfews and displaying the same you know, behavior as before. Authorities responded in kind because early on Wednesday, police confirmed that three people had been struck by bullets during the protests that began Tuesday night. Two of the people died. The third victim did not suffer life-threatening injuries, police said. And video footage of it showed that uh, the third person was struck in the arm, so probably not. Although, damn, that's going to hurt. Um, that shooting took place around 11.45 uh, p.m. on Tuesday, just before Wednesday midnight. Tuesday, Wednesday. A 17-year-old... Um, was the one holding the gun. Now, I don't care to give this boy, this 17-year-old, any more publicity than he already has, but allow me to 
give you an idea of why people are very, very upset about him. Um, he had an AR-15 rifle. He'd been walking around with some other counter-protesters. And prior to him opening fire on the demonstrators, on the protesters, um, the police had actually been talking to him and saying, while well, we really appreciate you guys and giving them water and, and ah, basically encouraging him. Um, now, let's be clear about something. Open carry laws allow you to do that once you're 18 or older. This was a 17-year-old. Now, you may recall, maybe, it was not quite six years ago, November of 2014, when a 12-year-old black American um, was killed in Cleveland, Ohio, by a, uh, a white police officer because he had a toy gun in his hand. A 12-year-old by the name of Tamir Rice. Meanwhile, our 17-year-old killer in Kenosha, who fired the three shot, well, who I should say probably fired more, but shot three people, killing two of them, um, had this AR-15 with him in front of these officers when he wasn't even legally old enough to be open carrying it anyway. What's more is they let him go. Well, I mean, he walked right by them. He'd come from Illinois. He witnessed the demonstrations that Tuesday evening. The cops were telling him, oh, we really appreciate you guys being here. Oh, yes. They appreciated the armed white counter-protesters being there. This guy, this 17-year-old, is very thin blue line, blue lives matter. And, of course, the cops appreciated that very much and weren't about to give him any trouble for the fact that he was open carrying an AR-15 at a demonstration where excessive use of force was the problem. No, they... They said, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Gave him some water. And not that long after that, wound up herding protesters around. This is reports on the ground that the Kenosha police wound up herding a group of protesters that were there protesting the shooting of Blake towards this group of armed white counter-protesters. And that's when the 17-year-old opened fire. Killed two of the protesters, four Blake, wounded another, and was allowed to leave the scene. That's right. He wasn't shot. He wasn't tased. He wasn't arrested. He left the scene. The only reason that he's been arrested and charged with murder now 
in connection with the shooting is because he turned himself in later after having gone home and gotten some sleep. Yeah. Now, good old Trump still wants to insert himself in this. He said he has spoken with Governor Evers, who had agreed to accept U.S. law enforcement support. That's even different than the National Guard. That's like we were talking about in Portland. Trump wrote on Twitter, without elaborating, he says, Today, I will be sending federal law enforcement and the National Guard to Kenosha, Wisconsin, to restore law and order. Governor Evers said in a statement that he'd authorized 500 members of the Wisconsin National Guard to support local law enforcement in Kenosha County, but did not confirm Trump's claim that federal law enforcement would be deployed. But then he doesn't have to confirm it. Trump will send it anyway, because that's what he does. Now, if you've listened to this program, um, not only recently, but of course, far back into the past, friend of the program, Steve Horn, will come on and give his investigative journalism, uh, usually on climate issues, but often also on other issues. He's an amazingly good investigative journalist. He used to live here in Madison. He now uh, he now lives in the San Diego area, but um, he grew up very close to where the shooting of uh, of Blake happened. And very, very close, even closer to where the deadly shooting occurred of the protesters. He posted on Facebook uh, this week that it's been really hard. And I'll quote Steve here. It's been really hard for me to concentrate, given how close the deadly shooting was to my childhood home. It happened by where I went to kindergarten and preschool in my childhood synagogue. then it got worse. I also learned that my cousin's best friend, Anthony Huber, was gunned down and killed by that 17-year-old AR-15 toting Blue Lives Matter fanboy. It all got to be a bit much, and I broke down and cried a bit this afternoon, not gonna lie. The far right is on the march. They're increasingly enmeshed in law enforcement, and this is now the second lethal right-wing shooting with which I've had either close contact personally or via family. Now, let's be clear here. I'm including Steve in this conversation. Just in case you, my dear listener, are not completely moved by the suffering of black Americans. Now, if not, I don't know what you're listening to me for. I'm sure you don't enjoy my program very much. But just in case hearing that a fellow white American by the name of Steve Horn and his friends and family are being torn apart by these right-wing gun-toting extremists, maybe that reaches you? I could only hope. I can only hope because honestly, I'm, I'm as Steve is kind of at a loss for figuring out what to do about this. Now, 
as I mentioned earlier, it's not just Kenosha where we're facing these issues. Mickey Pope, who also has been on TMI with Aldous Tyler in the past, um, has actually been living um, much in the past five years over in Istanbul, in Turkey, just returned back to Madison to live within the last week, immediately found, um, Mickey immediately found their absolute brilliant ability to capture um, what's going on on camera, their photojournalistic skills in high demand here in Madison. Mickey posted on Facebook a black and white picture showing counter protesters there who showed up with guns. Mickey said, myself and two others were watching them from across the street. The guy in front took a few steps toward us, placed his hand on the barrel of his gun and started raising it up to point at us. Before it was completely raised, he decided to put it back down, but kept his hand on the barrel. I was taking photos of them while another person was shooting video. We weren't approaching them. We were just documenting them in case they did something. The person taking video had just gotten out of their car, and the guy with the gun told us to stop bothering them, or he'd shoot out the car windows. We stood our ground, but they walked away. Miki continues, I know it could have ended differently. I'm thankful it didn't. But... In Kenosha, it did end differently for at least three protesters who were shot after right-wing militia members came out during the protests there. I'm afraid this won't be the last shooting, as armed white supremacists are becoming more and more public about their hatred for Black Lives and the Black Lives Matter protests. Everyone in the streets, stay vigilant, stay together, protect each other, and don't back down now. That's a message from a fellow Madison, Wisconsin activist and photojournalist. And that's a word that we needed to hear. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back.
And we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. Last week, I uh, did a segment that I titled Mama Ain't Happy and Ain't Nobody Happy, talking about how there were fire tornado. There was a, uh, a true fire tornado for the first time ever in the United States of America in California. Um, how we had a, a, a just a tremendous derecho come through um, Iowa and Wisconsin, Indiana, you know, a couple weeks ago. And how indeed the Atlantic hurricane season had been expanded out. The forecast had been expanded out to include more major hurricanes and other such things. And sure enough, in that time period, Laura and Marco went from tropical depressions to named tropical storms to hurricanes and headed right for Louisiana, the both of them. Now, Marco formed after Laura, hence being an M after her L, and proceeded to speed along ahead of her but lost its punch. This is why you didn't hear that much about it. When it made landfall in Louisiana, it hit over New Orleans as a relatively weak tropical storm. It didn't do that much. It did that on um, the 24th of August earlier this week. But flash forward to August 26th into 27th, Hurricane Laura strengthened over the Gulf tremendously and made landfall near Cameron, Louisiana at 1 a.m. yesterday morning. That's the 27th. And was at that point a Category 4 storm with 150 mile an hour sustained winds. Now, she rapidly raced inland, the center roughly intersecting Little Rock, Arkansas, 24 hours after landfall. And at this time, roughly 5.30 p.m. Central, today, Friday, August 28th, Laura's blown just north of and past Memphis, Tennessee, and well into Kentucky. Now, by this time tomorrow, Laura will be passing the D.C. metro area and then back out into the Atlantic, where she's expected to pick up post-tropical strength back to tropical storm levels and be over Newfoundland, Canada, just after midnight Sunday. Yeah, early Monday morning. You're welcome, Canada. Here comes a storm. Now, before you yawn Laura off as just another Gulf storm, you should know that the last time a storm of her magnitude struck Louisiana wasn't 15 years ago with Katrina, but rather 164 years ago with what's known as the last island hurricane of 1856. The overall diameter and effect of that storm was actually less than Laura, with storm surge remaining under 12-foot maximum. And that 12-foot storm surge was still enough to split last island into pieces. At that time, it was called Isle Dernier. Now it's Isle Dernier with an S at the end because it's several, as I said, hunks of land now, not just one. These several tinier pieces are what's left. Not only that, but the last island hurricane of 1856 was able to combine what was Pelto Bay 
and Big Pelto Bay, two separate geographical features, into a singular, much larger Lake Pelto. Yes, so 164 years ago, last time we had anything like Laura strike Louisiana. Now, seven hours after landfall, Laura was still a hurricane with sustained winds of 100 miles an hour, and she remained hurricane strong all the way to the Arkansas border. By sunrise Thursday, over 500,000 homes in Louisiana and Texas were without power. As of this broadcast, they are still assessing the massive damage caused by this storm. The storm surge flowed as far inland as I-10 and Lake Charles, Louisiana, some 30 miles from the coast. Now, what should help keep the death toll down is that Laura made landfall in a much less densely populated area of Louisiana than Katrina did, and that there was a notably higher percentage of people willing and able to evacuate, minus, you know, Jim Cantori, who, of course, moved in temporarily. Um, no, he didn't actually get that close. He, he got close enough, but, you know, the Weather Channel is not about to risk their uh, their prime disaster anchor by actually putting him in the middle of the storm surge. Nonetheless, nonetheless, the point is this. When Katrina hit, one of the things that made it so very costly in lives is that many people in New Orleans were too poor, owned no vehicles of their own, um, were simply unable to get away. And as such, decided to refuse to do so. I mean, when you really don't have the means to move that far out of the way of an income, incoming disaster, then general uh, human instinct is to just dig in and say, that's it, we're going to survive this thing. Well, like I said, in this case, more people thankfully were able to evacuate. Time will tell for certain. But there's little doubt that we won't be waiting another 16-plus decades for a storm of Laura's power to hit Louisiana again, as the climate produces more and more monstrous weather as the 21st century matures. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
And we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. Now, the protests that have been happening since May, originally uh, protesting the uh, brutal murder at the hands of the police of George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, and have since encompassed uh, much more than that, of course, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, they um, have been having a tremendous impact on society, um, or so it seemed. Now, there's a new NPR Ipsos poll that um, is out there, and unfortunately, this poll shows that uh, the people who have done the least when it comes to taking actions to better understand racial issues in America are white people. Now, this, of course, might not surprise you. But this poll is being spun by many, including NPR itself, as showing that these protests really haven't had much of an effect, that somehow there um, really isn't much to be done unless people decide to change themselves. Okay, here's the deal. Overall, 36% of the respondents to the poll said that they have taken actions to better understand racial issues in America. 55% did not, and 9% said they didn't know, whatever that means. But basically, on average, close to 4 out of 10 Americans said that they, uh, they've taken actions since May to better understand racial issues in America. Now, Keep that in mind, that that's the average. Black people have said 41% of them have taken actions to better understand racial issues in America, where 48% did not. Now, before you go, oh, ho, oh, ho, look, they didn't do much more than average. Just knock it off. Because let me tell you, the question is, have you personally taken any actions to better understand racial issues in America? Generally speaking, most black people have a pretty deep understanding of racial issues in America by dint of just being black in America. 51% um, of Hispanic people said that they've taken actions to better understand racial issues in America. 49% uh, of uh, people who identify themselves as Asian did so. White was 30%. And this is where the spin on this is that, well, these, these marches aren't really having the intended effect. I mean, only 30% of white people, 3 in 10, said that since May, they've personally taken actions to better understand racial issues in America. Now, you see, here's the problem. If a poll like this, if a question like this, I should say, had been given, say, in February, okay, before, well before, all of this went down, before we had the coronavirus and everything else, asking white Americans if they had taken any steps in the last year, shall we say, from February of 2019 to February of 2020, any actions in the last year there to better understand racial issues in America, I would have been surprised to see a 10% positive response. One in 10 
could have said, yeah, I, I took some actions to better understand racial issues. Maybe. And that might be me thinking kindly. So let's think about that for a minute. I am saying, and I admit because no one thought to ask this question of white Americans prior to the George Floyd um, murder, we don't have the solid data, but I am absolutely putting forth that there's been at least a 20%, a 20 percentage point, I should say, increase, 200% total, is what I'm saying. Basically, I'm saying that there is, all right, let me just go this way. I'm saying that without the protests, without all of that happening, maybe one in 10 white people over the span of a year would have bothered to personally take any actions to better understand racial issues in America. But since the protests, three out of 10 are. That is a 300% increase, three times the amount of white Americans. Now, please, 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 please don't for a minute think I'm trying to excuse white Americans from doing better. We must do better. Given how much we have to learn about racial issues in America, white people, we need a lot more than three out of 10, a lot more. But I am trying to show on the flip side of this poll that it should not be taken as evidence that these protests have been meaningless. On the contrary, I'm almost dead certain that they've been huge. Now, here's the other interesting thing. This NPR Ipsos poll was conducted August 20th to 21st. This is before what happened in Kenosha. And now that Kenosha has occurred, and now that NBA players and whole teams are on strike, I would be interested to see give it another month or so. I would be very interested to see this poll being given again. Now, this poll also asked, have you or a close friend or family member attended a rally or protest after George Floyd's death in May or not? And there were several uh, possible answers. You could say, I attended. You could say, a close friend or family member attended. Or you could say, no, neither. Now, overall, so basically when you average race out, 8% of Americans attended at least once a, uh, a rally or protest after George Floyd's death in May. 20% say they know a close friend or family member who attended. That's about right. 74% said no, neither, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, these rallies were huge, huge. But let's face it, um, three quarters of America couldn't have shown up. I mean, it's just, there's no, there's no room. Now, let's break down the numbers again by race. 7% uh, of white respondents said they attended, 14% said a close friend or family member attended. 
with 80%, of course, saying neither. Now, to be clear, one of the complicating factors here is the current pandemic. I would have been at these protests repeatedly, but I have some very, very vulnerable family members to the pandemic. I can't go out in mixed company um, without absolute proper social distancing, masks, etc., um, being uh, being strictly implemented. And while these protests seemed to have actually implemented these uh, these guidelines relatively well, it was still a risk I could not take. So I cheered from the sidelines over here. I made sure people had the information they could have, all of that, but I could not personally attend. So I was not in that 7% of attending. However, I am in the 14% where I could say close friends or family members attended. Absolutely. Um, now, black people. Black Americans, 13% said they personally attended a rally or protest for George Floyd's uh, death. 42% said they knew a close friend or family member who did. Meanwhile, just over half, 53%, said neither they nor a close friend or family member attended the rallies or protests after George Floyd's death in May. Um, Hispanic and Asian came in at 11 and 24%, 8 and 27% for attended or knew someone. Um, so what it really comes down to is this. For those who were concerned that these rallies and protests were completely taken over by white people. Um, now, you do have to factor in the fact that there are less by number black people in America by far than there are white people. But it's pretty clear that percentage participation would definitely indicate that this was still a black-led group of protests and rallies. It's, uh, it's even possible to say that maybe it wouldn't have been appropriate had um, white participation percentages been as high as black. Um, I would have liked to see a closer amount. I would have loved to see overall way more people. Hell, I would have loved to see more black people in that poll. But the fact is even over half of black people, not only did they not attend, but a close friend or family member didn't. There it is. And you know how large these protests were. Imagine if people get upset enough that even more show up. There you go. Now, another question in this poll, which was very interesting. Do you support or oppose the Black Lives Matter movement? Overall, 53% of the American population support the Black Lives Matter movement. And 34% oppose. Now, 9% are ambivalent. They don't, they don't know if they support or oppose it. Interestingly enough, 3% are not familiar with the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, assuming that 3% breaks down how we're seeing here, you could say that most likely, um, once those 3% hear of it, you could say that probably it's going to be 55% to 35% with, uh, again, the uh, roughly 10% uh, not being sure. But in any case, the fact is, we're looking at 
the majority of Americans supporting Black Lives Matter. Now, I know I've seen polls before the protests from May here, and I know for a fact that the support was nowhere near that widespread. So let's see how these numbers break down by race. In the case of white people, 47% say they support the Black Lives Matter movement, 41% say they oppose it, a full 10% are on the fence, and uh, about 1% say they're not familiar with the movement. Now, that's, in my opinion, good. That means that basically uh, everyone's heard about it, and 6% more people who are white support than oppose. That is a tremendous increase. I remember seeing a poll, I believe it was two years ago, regarding Black Lives Matter, and you only had about 36% white support at that point. That's that's huge progress. That's an 11% jump. Now, uh, black, uh, black American support of the Black Lives Matter group, this might actually surprise you. It's 73% support and 17% oppose with 6% on the fence and about 1% hasn't heard of it. First of all, that 1% who hasn't heard of the Black Lives Matter movement amongst black Americans really does surprise me. Um, but what also surprises me is that 17% say they oppose the Black Lives Matter movement. Huh. But nonetheless, um, there it is. Now, uh, Hispanic and Asians both, both of those groups, Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans both um, say that 59% supports the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, in the case of Hispanic Americans, 5% haven't heard of it. In the case of Asian Americans, 6% haven't heard of it. Um, in the case of Hispanic Americans, 7% are on the fence. In the case of Asian Americans, 12% are on the fence. And for opposing, in the case of Hispanic Americans, 29% oppose. And in case of Asian Americans, 23% oppose. And again, as I mentioned, these are numbers that came out prior to, the, uh, to all of what's happened in Kenosha. Now, what does this mean? Well, this poll is very interesting and very telling. But to me, this poll proves that the protests that have happened since May, the George Floyd-inspired protests and onward, um, they've made a difference, a positive difference in society. Keep going. Don't let them stop you. Don't get off the street. Stay on it. Stay on them. Make sure they understand that we aren't going to settle for anything less than full justice. Now, you've been listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler, and uh, we broadcast every week, every Friday here, 5 p.m. Central on WSUM 91.7 FM here in Madison, as well as, of course, being simultaneously streamed at WSUM.org. Check out TMI, TMI, TMI.com for all podcasts. The podcast is generally put up uh, usually Monday, maybe Tuesday. Um following the broadcast. So if you've missed this, don't worry, you can catch up there. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in, and I will happily talk to you later. Have a great weekend.